Welcome to the Connected Communities Podcast, brought to you by Be Unity. We've launched this podcast to share the stories of people and organisations from a wide variety of communities so that we can continue to learn, grow and support each other to a place of health. Since we launched in 2021, we've been guided by our values of curiosity, authenticity, respect and empathy. We've used those values as a compass point to ensure that we continue to walk towards our vision eh, and it also helps us to align with other organisations and communities that also want to achieve a similar or the same vision. We've collaborated with a variety of communities within education from primary schools eh, through to high schools and also with some universities and colleges. Eh, we work with both the teachers and with the young people sharing information about mental health uh, we have worked with local and national organisations from McLaren Packaging right through to BT Openreach. Uh, we've worked with local charities and also even supported North Ayrshire Council with their response to the locality support for mental health in their community. We've also provided opportunities for young people and veterans to connect with nature by facilitating our Dirty Venture initiative. The Dirty Venture initiative is an outdoor programme that allows people to connect deeper with themselves but also connect with our planet and connecting with nature. Throughout those programmes we provide the kit, uh, we remove the financial barriers that some people will experience when it comes to connecting with nature but we will also provide the guides uh, to provide those therapeutic experiences for people to be able to connect with themselves. Through this series of podcasts, we're going to be speaking with some very interesting guests from all walks of life, uh, and they will be sharing their experiences that they've had um, and help us to understand different aspects of how we experience life and also how we will experience mental health. The guests that we're going to have are truly inspiring, and they've been involved in some of the most meaningful work that's happening across the country when it comes to trauma, societal challenges, mental health, and uh, just general overall well-being each bringing different perspectives to ponder eh, and some tips on how to implement those different strategies for you and also the people that you are connected with. This podcast is going to bring so many different aspects of what is needed to continue changing our culture and we're going to be looking deeply at trauma, we're going to be looking at mental health, we'll be looking at different aspects of leadership, we'll be looking at the education system, we will be looking at how businesses are run and how they can best accommodate the different needs for individuals that work for them. We're going to be looking at apprenticeships, we're going to be looking at how the community is so important for people to develop their overall well-being and go to a place of thriving. Uh, and we're also going to hopefully share some insights into how we can all contribute to prioritising human connection. Uh, in this very first episode, I'm just going to introduce myself, share some of my background um, and also give us an insight into why we launched Be In Unity in 2021. So thank you very much for listening. Uh, I hope that you enjoy the podcast. Um, let's get to it. So thanks for tuning in to the very first episode of the Connected Communities podcast. My name's Danny and I'm going to be the host of this podcast series for Be In Unity. And over these upcoming episodes, what I'm going to do is take everybody that's listening on a bit of a journey to understand how different communities are taking this knowledge of attachment, trauma and resilience and applying it to their specific fields. Um, over the training and the initiatives that we've delivered over the past two years, What's been really key and what I've recognised is that there's a lot of really good work going on to help people overcome adversity and build resilience, but it sometimes appears like those stories don't really get shared with each other. 
And what we're trying to do here is just bring those communities together, allow people to listen into different experiences that people have had so as they can then go on and apply those different things to themselves if it's appropriate. So a good place for me to start is just sharing a wee bit about my background. Um, I was born in a small town in the west of Scotland called Greenock. Uh, Greenock sits pretty high when it comes to multiple levels of deprivation um, and unfortunately a lot of the children, including myself, that grew up in Greenock around that time uh, we experienced that poverty and although there was poverty financially and there was poverty within the community the real poverty that I actually think was quite paramount to the way that a lot of my generation developed was the poverty of relationships that we had and I think it's pretty important to understand now that the experiences that I'll be sharing over these coming podcasts they are not the intention of any parents, caregivers or loved ones that was looking after me at the time and in fact, what it actually is, is just my felt experience. And I think that's probably what we're going to try and highlight quite often through the podcast, is that the felt experience of people is actually really important to pay attention to. Despite our best intention, we cannot make somebody feel a certain way. So we need to have that in the back of our minds when we're talking about this stuff. Uh, what I'd also like to say is... As we go through the podcast, we're going to be unravelling stories, we're going to be looking at people's personal experiences, they might be traumatic, they might be triggering for people. And if you feel triggered by it, what I'd encourage you to do is just go to the show notes and you can look, there's a website for support on there, head to the website and there's a whole range of support websites, phone numbers and people that you can contact should you find it triggering. BN Unity works with quite a lot of high schools um, and we've also started to work with a lot of primary schools and the reason why I'm quite keen on working within that education sector and getting this message of attachment and trauma uh, across to educators and to young people is because my experiences of education were absolutely stinking. Um, I used to have a lot of things going on in the background as a young person and back in my day when we were in high school that didn't matter. What was more important is that you showed up, you were on time and you just done your work. Uh, and there was never really any real curiosity from any of the teachers, the support teachers, the head teachers, the deputy head teachers. And what we've noticed over the past couple of years is that that's certainly changed, which is great. When I was in high school, uh, that's when I actually started my highest levels of truancy. For those that are in Glasgow, that's called dogging. Uh, and for those that are down in Greenock or in Inverclyde area, we know it's called skidging. So I was I was pretty good at skidging. Uh, my mum will back me up with that. I had the highest skidging record in the, in the whole of Inverclyde. And that skidging record for me was a wee bit of a, was a, bit of an accolade. It was a bit of a, a bit of an armour I could wear in front of all my pals. Um, because I, I looked pretty cool in, in front of those peers and it was encouraged within my peers and they thought, oh, Danny's amazing because he's never at school but he still seems to pass his exams and pass his tests and whatnot. And the reason I got really good at it was because there was no real curiosity or care given by any of the teachers. And I'm not saying that that was their intention again, but that was the felt experience for me as a young person that they never really cared. So I get put on an attendance card, like most kids did that were really good at skidging in them days. And what that meant was that I had to get my wee card signed by every teacher at the end of every lesson. Which sounds like a really good idea to get kids to attend school but what I ended up doing was just going in for one week and when I went to hand it in to the head teacher before I went into his office I photocopied it and then the following week I used to just go in Monday morning I would go into registration I would get my wee timesheet card 
Um, and then I would leave. And I've already got my photocopy. So I would just copy it. I would hand it in a Friday afternoon. No questions asked. For seven months that went on. That's seven months of no school. Seven months of no teachers interacting with a young person. Seven months of walking about the streets, not really having a sense of purpose. And uh, also seven months of having to lie to my mum because I was too scared to tell her that I just didn't want to go to school. So when I turned 16 uh, and I could legally leave school, I, I, I snatched that opportunity straight away. Um, there was no holding me in school, no trying to get me to sign up to the, the EMA, which is the Education Maintenance Allowance. Um, I was just out of there as soon as I could. And for the next couple of years, I started to try and explore different things with people, um, looking at the peer groups that I was involved with, the teams that I used to run about with. Then something really traumatic happened when I turned 16, um, and it was in August 2004, and my dad died. Uh, my dad was an alcoholic, and the drink eventually got the better home, and he died in hospital when I was 16. And for a young person growing up again, that's a really difficult thing to overcome, and I found it even more challenging being a young man in the west of Scotland without any positive male role models to allow me to express how I felt and go through the emotion eh, and through the full grieving process. So like a lot of young people eh, and like a lot of guys at that time and even now, what I started today was just completely disassociate and suppress my emotions. I never went through the cycle of them. I never gave them the space to be able to emerge. And I started to get involved in the sort of drinking culture. And again, that was shown through like a whole variety of different behaviours. I would uh, start maybe staying out longer. I would start trying to explore different friend groups and different peers. I would try and change my behaviours to, to fit in with certain groups of people. So as I felt like I was accepted within a, a group of people because I know that and as, as much as this might sound strange for people, I never felt like I really belonged in the places and spaces that I was actually at when I was a young person. I used to just think like, fuck, I'm just here and nobody really cares. So after a couple of years, uh, I guess, fucking about um, and getting into some trouble and exploring that drink culture, uh, what I ended up doing was signing up to join the British Army. And joining the army was like a dream for me since I was a wee guy. Uh, my mum would tell you the story where we were walking through the town centre um, and there was these two soldiers that were recruiting for Bosnia and Kosovo at the time and I asked them like can I sign up and <laughs> the guys were like aye what age are you wee man oh you need to come back when you're 16 and actually what's probably quite good to pay attention to is I, I can actually remember the dialogue that I had with these guys and they says you don't even need qualifications for school so Genuinely, I think that wee bit of information when I was seven has sat in my brain uh, and it sat in my thought process when it came to actually attending education. So, like I say, when I was 19, I managed to finally join the British Army. I actually had to jump through a couple of hoops in order to join the British Army. So when I was a young boy, I had asthma and then I had been prescribed an inhaler when I was 14 and you've got to be clear, five years I've been prescribed an inhaler. So I had to wait about a time, get signed off by the doctor and then my, my enlistment date finally came through and joining the army was probably the best decision that I had ever made in those first 19 years of my life and what I find really interesting about joining the army is that people volunteer to leave a community where they don't feel like they belong and what they very quickly find 
or the majority of people who join the army find is a real sense of belonging that's built on trust with people that you don't know and as I again as I unpack loads of experiences going forward through these podcasts I'll give more insight into how those relationships are formed but I just find it really interesting that there's loads of people volunteering to leave loads of communities and then when they come together they feel connected and they feel like they can trust each other. Um, the army was brilliant, uh, we had loads of great experiences, I was part of the Royal Scots Dragoon Guards, we travelled all over the world, um, so I had the opportunity to go out and serve my time mostly out in Germany, uh, we went to Austria skiing, we went to France skiing, sailed around Denmark, sailed across the Atlantic, um, went to Canada, been to America, been to all sorts of countries including an operational tour of Afghanistan in 2011 on Hope Perrick 14. And again, some of the stories that I'll share through these podcasts will we'll hone in on those experiences, specifically the experience of adversity. And hopefully that'll build a real sense of why it's really hard to replicate those relationships for a veteran when you get out and you're part of uh, just normal society and normal community, part of that sort of civvy world. But one of the biggest things that I learned in the army was the ability for leadership. Leadership is exceptionally important when it comes to being able to set a culture for places and set a culture for people and set a really good standard for people to be able to live by. And when I was in the army, and, and to this day, I still live by the, the core values um, of courage, discipline, respect for others, integrity, loyalty and selfless commitment. Those values are, they're, they're, they're ingrained into you when the, for the very first day that you join and they don't leave you. And they're actually really good values for people to be able to live by and run all your decision making through. So after nine years of being in the army um, and having all these amazing and also uh, maybe not so amazing experiences at times, it really helped me to develop myself as a person. And when it came to leadership, I feel like I knew what was important. And the important part for leadership was making sure that those who are following you feel safe. Make sure that those who are following you feel loved. Make sure that those that are following you feel secure. Because there was times when we were on operations where physical security was not guaranteed, but the emotional security was always there by your brothers and your sisters that you were serving with. And that's, again, it's a really difficult thing to replicate out in Civvy Street when you don't have those shared adversity experience, like the, the literal markers of life or death um, people talk about it in leadership but having experienced it it's really difficult to translate it into that sort of business terminology where people really understand like would you give your life for this person so my experiences in the army were great um, and they offered me loads of opportunities for education which led to me achieving a teaching qualification and I started to teach in the army and I, I really enjoyed it I really enjoyed working with people, I enjoyed uh, sharing information and really enjoyed watching people grow and develop to go on and take on different roles, tasks and projects themselves. So I decided that it was time to leave and in 2016 uh, I signed off and when you sign off for the army it's not a case of handing in a four weeks notice, you've actually got to serve 12 months. Um, so I had 12 months of understanding that I was leaving this very secure safe job to, to enter a world that I, I never really knew and for 
part of that. I was actually quite scared with the transition of leaving because when you apply for a job and you've got 11 months to go, if you get the job and you tell the employer, brilliant, any chance you can hold that job for 11 months, you find it really difficult to hold your job for 11 months. So I started to look at different options, different organisations that were recruiting and uh, ended up applying for a job to work for Tigers. Uh, and Tigers, like some of the, the, the listeners of this podcast will know, are an organisation that are based up in uh, Glasgow and they do some really good work when it comes to educating people around trauma. Uh, they work with young people, providing them opportunities for learning, for training, apprenticeships, job opportunities. And they also are the co-founders of the SOL Nation. And in 2017, when I left the army, I got a job with them. Uh, they took me on as a construction trainer and assessor, which really shows how, how trusting that organisation are when they employ their members of staff because I had literally zero experience in construction uh, and just some experience in education. But the education I delivered was around uh, warfighting tactics and IT and telecoms. So I was really grateful for that opportunity to be able to go into an organisation and work with young people and also work with some really good members of the team who were delivering projects and delivering education to young people who were maybe at a disadvantage through their own educational experience at high school or maybe because of the areas in Glasgow that they came from. One of the biggest things that I had the opportunity to be part of while I was working with Tigers is the change that they had in their sort of leadership and in their culture. Uh, and it was driven by their managing director, Pauline Scott, who was really curious about human behaviour. Um, and at the time, across Scotland, there was a lot of movement around ACEs, which is Adverse Childhood Experiences. And uh, it was led by Dr. Suzanne Zedike, who is a research scientist, and also Tina Hendry. Um, they, they went on a tour across Scotland, showing the Resilience documentary, and then facilitating a discussion afterwards to understand what is the biological impact that adverse childhood experiences can have on young people, um, and how might that behaviour look later in life, but also what are the key indicators for the overall health outcomes of that person. And if you've not already seen the documentary, I would highly recommend that you go and do so, because it's a really good start point to understanding a wider conversation around the impact of development and also the impact of trauma and attachment. When I worked for Tigers, we had the great opportunity to work alongside Dr. Suzanne Z. Dyke and we watched this documentary several times and we had so many discussions around it and it helped Tigers and it helped me as an individual person to understand my own personal experiences. And when I looked at the ACEs questionnaire, I seen them and they scared me because I thought, man, I've experienced them. And what does that mean for me as a person? And what's my behaviours like as an adult? And what are my potential health outcomes like? And that was really scary to look at when you first got a wee bit of awareness of it. But where those conversations led was how you can actually overcome it. And the documentary is actually based on hope, which is which is great because when you've experienced a lot of adversity in your life, uh, hope might not be something that comes quite easily to you. You might feel like you're destined for doom, but that's not the case. Being introduced to this stuff gave me a real awareness of things that I can do to look after myself, but also things that I can do to make the lives of my children better and the lives of the people that I'm connected with better. 
And over the years, I went on a bit of a journey myself where I had to attend counselling. I went to therapy, um, and I thought that I was doing really, I thought I was doing really good work to myself. And actually, what I was doing was I was still manifesting that trauma inside, and I was still suppressing it. And on the surface, I looked like a very well-rounded person. Um, I had my kids, I had a house, I had my car, the really good job. I was making an impact in the community. But internally, I was actually really struggling. Uh, and I was struggling with my own mental health and I was struggling to talk to people about it. And over the years of that manifesting, I actually led to a period of suicide ideation where I was planning a suicide um, to the point where I had a suicide plan in place. Uh, and on the night that I was going to attempt suicide, uh, somebody actually reached out to me and they wanted to connect and they wanted to go for a cup of tea. And that opportunity helped me to make sense of a lot of my experiences and to know that it's actually all right to struggle. The conversation then gave me a wee bit more courage to be able to trust people. And that's what I really lacked. I lacked the ability to trust people on a very meaningful level where I could trust them with my feelings and my emotions and be able to talk about it without judgement. And although I was surrounded by good people that I was working with, I never had that connection with them. And it's quite interesting because when I was going through therapy and counselling, my counsellor used to say is, you need to go through the process of grieving the death of your family. And I was like, what, what are you talking about? Like, all my family are still alive. Uh, and she says, no, not, not your biological family, like your military family. You've left them and you've not went through the process of leaving them. So although logically you know they're still there, biologically your body's not got a clue and it thinks that they've all died so I started to go on another journey uh, I started to try and understand my experiences again like why was it that I was really struggling to talk about how I felt to people um, and then in June I got a phone call uh, for, for one of my best friends saying that there was a death within the regiment and it was a suicide uh, and it was young Chrissy Wilson who died by suicide and we all went to his funeral um, and there was about 600 people at it and the funeral was really difficult because the majority of the people that were at the funeral were men and there was hardly any tears at it. And then a couple of weeks later, after Chrissy's funeral, I got another phone call to say that another friend had killed himself. And this time it was Gordy. And Gordy Adam was a great guy, um, full of stories, full of life, full of love, full of energy and he also lost the fight with the demons that were inside his mind. And I can remember thinking to myself, like, I need to talk about suicide. Because not only is it people in the community that are doing it, like, this is your pals that are doing it now. So I then opened up about my experience of suicide. And I spoke to who is now my wife, Lisa. And... Lisa helped me to understand that experience and then she actually gave me the courage to be able to talk about it, to be able to share it with people so as we can change the narrative because too often what we do is we wait on people reaching out for help and the reality is is that that doesn't happen often enough. What we need to do is get people skilled at recognising when somebody might be struggling but more importantly give them the confidence to be able to reach in and open that conversation. I had read so many books, I had watched so many YouTube videos, I had hundreds of 
really meaningful conversations about how we share this message with people and how essentially we can get people to think more openly about the experiences of children um, and about the experiences of adults when when we take into consideration what their life experiences might have been like. And I got to the point where I was sick of reading books and I was sick of like knowing the knowledge and I was sick of watching things happening with my friends, with my family, with my peer groups, with, with the communities that I was working with. Um, and I thought there needs to be a, another way to get these conversations into the minds of young people and into people who have got real impact day-to-day working with young people so as we can change that narrative from a young age but also empower those that are within a place of education or in a place of leadership to be able to nurture those experiences and nurture that culture for people to be able to speak freely about how they feel. And that led us to launching Be In Unity um, in 2021 and I reached out to a lot of people who I regarded as really good friends um, and I've leaned on them over the past couple of years and, and for you, if you're listening, I'm really grateful for the, the time that you've gave me and the support that you've gave us over the past couple of years to help the organisation become a wee bit more established uh, and essentially helping us to lead some of those conversations around experiences for young people but also how we respond to the the, the mental health issues that are going on in the community so so thank you so now what i'd like to do is just focus a wee bit of attention on some of the programs that we've delivered as an organization uh, to the different communities that we work with so our first program that we actually launched was our community learning programs and it was a leading and enabling mental health in the community, which is a bit of a tongue twister to get out the first time. Uh, and that that training was designed so as it would inspire, educate and empower communities with the knowledge and skills to build an environment that challenges the social stigma that's associated with mental health, but also leads to societal change. And our focus group at that point was actually young people in high schools, um, from different year groups from S4, S5 and S6 and the initial programme was looked at as a peer mentoring programme so we would educate those who are in the, the more senior years and they would facilitate learning sessions for people in the junior years and what we've done with that programme is really empower young people to then go and educate other young people about mental health I can remember being a wee guy sometimes at school looking at the mere senior people in the school thinking, I don't care what the teachers think, I want to be like that guy. And that peer orientation was really strong for me. And we know that peer orientation is even stronger now for young people. So if we've got them looking at their their, their idols, essentially, talking about this stuff, then it will make it easier for them to be able to engage with it. And hopefully it will make it easier for them later in life, if they feel like they're struggling, to be able to reach out and talk to somebody. So the programme itself has received really good feedback uh, from both the the senior leadership teams in the high schools that we worked with, but also from the young people that have been engaged in the programmes. They feel more empowered to be able to open up meaningful conversations with their friends 
Uh, and they also feel quite empowered to make some societal changes within their small communities that they're part of, whether that be the school community or if it's just part of a group or a club that they're part of in school. They feel empowered uh, and they feel confident to be able to use their voice to change certain things so as their well-being can be made a priority. We've also had some really positive feedback coming back from the teachers that have been part of the education programme. Uh, some saying that it's been the most meaningful learning that they've taken part in. Uh, some have expressed an ability to be able to connect on a deeper level with their, with their peers and also offer support to their peers uh, and really valuing the time and the small interactions between each other that really make a difference when it comes to building trust and building those really positive uh, safe relationships to share openly and freely without any type of judgment coming back to them. We've also delivered a dirty venture programme with some high schools and that's also been a really good success and the, the purpose of the dirty venture programme is to, to get young people thinking about their values, to let them think more deeply about their mental health and again some of the experiences that they've had and how that shapes their behaviour and how it shaped their values and it also gives them the opportunity to connect with nature. And we know the benefits of people connecting with nature. We know that it's been proven to improve your mood. Um, it reduces feelings of stress and anxiety and anger. Uh, it helps you to take a wee bit of time out and feel a wee bit more relaxed. It improves your physical health. It's got an impact on your confidence. It boosts your self-esteem. There's so many benefits to connecting with nature. But unfortunately, there's also so many people in our communities that don't have the access to nature. And by access, what, what it is that we're trying to address is some of the financial barriers that people experience. Uh, some folk won't be able to afford a pair of boots that will keep their feet dry. Some folk won't be able to afford a good jacket that will keep them dry in case it starts to rain. They won't be able to afford the layers that it takes to be able to wrap up and keep yourself and your core warm. And what that actually does is it limits people's access to nature. So we developed our Debt Adventure initiative so as we can focus on values, we can look at mental health, we can open up conversations, we can build relationships, but also through that therapeutic experience, a connection with nature. What the Debt Adventure programme also provides is the opportunity for these young people to be able to go camping. And we take them for an overnight expedition uh, to give them the full experience of what it's like to set up a tent, what it's like to sleep in a sleeping bag. So as they are more confident to do that, maybe with their family or certainly with their, with their peers later on in life, should they feel they need to connect with nature. Another initiative that we've got currently going um, and is starting to take really good shape with the partner primary schools and high schools that we work with up in Larbert is our community and relationship mentor. The role of the community and relationship mentor is to provide therapeutic relationships to young people who are experiencing adversity and also providing them the tools to be able to develop their emotional literacy. Lisa is the current community and relationship mentor and Lisa works directly with the partners so we've got a cluster group of primary schools and also a high school lab at high and they're working collectively as a community to be able to engage with children at all ages so as we meet their developmental needs not at their age but at whatever stage they're at we need to meet them where they're at. Uh, through the programme that the community and relationship mentor delivers over that period of time working with the schools it is completely developed around the needs of the children that engage with BN Unity and their initiatives. 
so we don't go in with a pre-written uh, journey for kids to take part in we go in and we assess the needs of the actual children the, we assess the needs of the, the young people we assess the needs of the teachers we assess the needs of the community and then what we try and do is we try and bring all those aspects of health together so as we provide an opportunity for the young people to be able to engage with themselves and build those trusting, therapeutic, loving relationships with each other and with our wider community. Our final initiative that we're running at the moment is known as the Veteran ERV. Uh, ERV stands for Emergency Rendezvous. So in military language, essentially what that means if shit hits the fan in the battlefield, uh, everybody comes to the RV and you get scooped up and you get taken away back to a place of safety. Um, so we are kind of offering that language so as veterans will connect with us. Uh, basically, if, if you're having a shit time with it, uh, come into the RV and we will be there to hold you uh, and support you to, to a place of health to get that support that you need. The RV is a virtual space just now, so it's where veterans check in online through Zoom we connect with each other uh, and we're essentially again just trying to change that narrative to say that speaking about mental health is absolutely okay and what we what we soon find out is that when we start to share those stories and share those journeys and share those experiences most people have actually had a similar experience of some sort and people quite often respond with kindness uh, and love to to give people the relationships that are needed to then go back into a place of thriving uh, I was recently part of a campaign in Scotland called The Guard, uh, which is about getting veterans talking about their mental health. And again, I'll put a link in the, the show notes for this for you to be able to go and listen to that. It's a separate sort of audio file. It lasts for about nine minutes. And it helps to share some of the stigmas that are associated for veterans accessing mental health support after they leave service. Again, what the ERV is trying to promote is a collective group of people who used to belong to each other. Uh, when we decide to leave the military, quite often we don't realise that we're leaving our family behind. And we don't trust other people because we've not had those similar experiences. So it can be easier to speak to people who have got a shared experience. Uh, one of the tools that we use throughout the Veteran ERV, and again in every sort of area or organisation, is the kit bag that was designed by IFF. Now, we're extremely proud to partner with IFF, uh, and we've worked together with IFF and using the kit bag so as we can provide those experiences for our veterans that come to the ERV. By using the kit bag inside that sort of virtual space, what it provides is the opportunities for more meaningful conversations to take place. And it allows veterans to share their thoughts and their feelings in a safe place, but it also helps to build trust, offer opportunities for kindness to each other, and improves their overall well-being. Some of the feedback that we've had for veterans using the kit bag has been unbelievable. And what we've designed and what we provide to veterans who connect with the veteran ERV is a belonging box and inside the belonging box you get uh, a couple of biscuits you get a Yorkie bar a couple of tea bags a couple of coffee bags um, and what that is designed to replicate is a ration pack so if you need a brew like let's brew up we can get on the phone we can get on the Zoom we can chat to each other we can have a biscuit but inside those belonging boxes is also a mini kit bag and the mini kit bag is given to the veterans so as they can then use that with the people at their dinner table, so as they can build those trust and therapeutic relationships with the people that they live with every day. 
and the success stories and some of the journeys that these guys and girls have been on is absolutely breathtaking to know that when you are given the opportunity and when you're supported through those experiences, health is something that we can all achieve and loving relationships is something that we can all share with each other. I think this is a really good opportunity now in the podcast just to extend a thank you to IFF for being the main sponsor of this podcast. Uh, with every podcast and every guest that we interview, IFF have kindly donated a mini kit bag to be able to pass on. So as those who are guests on the podcast can then use that wee kit bag and that wee tool bag to promote health in their communities. So a huge thank you to IFF. Again, I will put some uh, links in the show notes so as you can go on and you can read a wee bit more about how the kit bag is used, uh, the different organisations that are promoting it, and hopefully it will give you those opportunities to have those meaningful conversations in your community. And on that note, I am going to bring this first episode of the podcast to a close. Now, one thing that I've learned from listening to podcasts over the past couple of years is that we need to have a really good format and a point of interest and a ritual that we can partner different ways until the next episode comes out. And one thing that I've learned from the podcast called The Diary of a CEO by Stephen Bartlett, um, and this is a plug for him. If if you've not listened to his podcast, like get that on your must-listen-to list. Uh, he has given me real insight into how to go about conducting yourself, um, ways that you can put yourself outside your, your comfort zone. Uh, in fact, he used a really important piece of language and a soundbite that I'm just going to mention here because the whole way through recording this podcast, although you're going to listen to it for about 40 to 50 minutes, it's probably taken about 40 or 50 hours to record uh, and there's been loads of editing on the go. And at times I felt like an imposter uh, and I was like, nah, fuck man, I should have been doing podcasts, nobody's going to listen to this stuff. And then uh, I listened to a sound clip and Stephen Bartlett says that he also felt in that sort of imposter area, that imposter syndrome. And I've quite often felt that way at times, uh, working in the, the different fields that I've been working in over the past five years. And what I found interesting was they reframed the language to say that actually what you tend to find is when you feel like you've got imposter syndrome, it's usually an opportunity for growth. So uh, if, if you've not already listened to Stephen Bartlett's podcast, please go and listen to it. There's loads of information in there. Loads of really great engaging conversations. And one thing that he's got is the last question where essentially the guest writes a question for the next guest of the podcast and Stephen doesn't get to see it until he's got to read it to the next guest, which I think is amazing. That always keeps me hooked to the very last minute of the episode. So what we're going to do is we're going to use the kit bag uh, and we're going to get each guest to select two cards at random. And from those two cards, what that guest will do is they'll choose to keep one of them for themselves and they'll explain why they would like to keep that. And they will then offer the second card to either the audience or to the next guest. So I'm going to go ahead and just kick us off and I'm going to pick two cards at random and I'm using the online kit bag at the moment so I'm going to select uh, cards number 11 and 25. <laughs> and uh, So there's a, there's another wee thing that gets said in the RV that the kit bag always knows what, what you need and what you want. So the two cards that I got was change and courage. Two very prominent cards for this type of podcast, I guess. Um, and I think for me, I'm going to... I'm going to keep courage. 
I think to be able to keep this podcast going, interview the guests that we've got lined up, and essentially put myself right into my growth zone, no my imposter syndrome zone, I'm going to have to keep that courage for me uh, so as I can continue to step into that vulnerability. And for the change card, I am going to offer to all of our potential listeners. Um, I think listening to these podcasts, hopefully some of the guests that we're interviewing, some of the knowledge and the, the projects that we're involved in over the coming years will give you permission to make change in your relationships, uh, give you permission to make change in your role, in your job, in your profession, whatever it might be. So I will keep courage and I will offer everybody who's listening change. Another ritual that we're going to keep through the podcast is what's known as the Mindful Minute, where we're going to invite the guests to be involved in one minute of mindfulness, listening to some sounds of nature, uh, and it just provides you with the opportunity to reflect on maybe everything that we discussed during the podcast, uh, gather your thoughts before you go gently into the rest of your day. So thank you for listening. Uh, Please subscribe, please keep your eyes peeled for other episodes that we're about to release Uh, and if you've got any type of feedback or comments or any suggested guests for the podcast uh, please reach out to us you can catch us on our uh, twitter page facebook we're on instagram and we've also got our website which is uh, again detailed in the show notes so please get in touch Uh, we look forward to hearing from you and thank you for listening to the podcast In this Mindful Minute segment of the podcast, I would like to invite you to reflect on the episode. Uh, Listen to the sounds and rhythm of the river flowing, the birds singing, and perhaps focus on your breathing and the different sensations in your body. So when you hear the bell, and if it's safe, so make sure you're not driving, I'd like you to close your eyes and just be with yourself, bringing those feelings and sensations into awareness. So here we go. And that brings us to the end of our Mindful Minute. I hope that it brought a sense of calm over you and provided some clarity of thought. Thank you very much for taking part.